On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent and you can listen to my podcast Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing. Hello and welcome to the left wing. So the World Cup moves on without Ireland. It's semi-finals weekend with Argentina playing New Zealand on Friday night and England against South Africa on Saturday night at the Stade de France. Rory O'Connor and King Tracy are here. At Rory, are you hanging in okay there in Paris? Last man in Saigon. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's quite warm in Paris. I've been looking at the reports from home and, and a little bit more glad than I was on Monday that, that I'm sticking around. It's... Uh, Spent about two hours in the forest in the west of it was no the forest in the east of Paris waiting for Steve Borthwick to arrive at an England press conference was I've better things to be doing in my life but it was still perfectly pleasant so yeah no still here still still surviving and starting to look forward to a pair of semi finals it wasn't as I said to Keane when we dialed into our call at the start it wasn't how I hoped to spend my Thursday the nineteenth of October you know I mean we should be you know if things had gone a different way if Jordy Barrett hadn't held up Ronan Kelleher we might be absolutely up the walls in the Stade de France trying to do fill about 50 pages of World Cup semi-final preview stuff so I'd still, I still swapped, swap what I'm doing today to, for that but uh, yeah look it's it's nice to be here it'd be great to be at the games over the weekend even if they might not be sold out that's the one of the talking points is that now that Ireland and France are gone so are a lot of the people who bought tickets um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how everyone shows up and whether whether there's so many different kind of factors how do quarterfinals bleed into the semis how those teams pitch up again oh, look they're still gonna be good games rod waiting you said you're waiting for borthwick in a parisian forest it sounds like a beckett play that's beautiful it was in the sunshine it was uh he was about two hours late. it was the same place um you guys were both out there last week incept the uh, french institute for sport which is in the middle of the bois de vincent which is the a big forest out on the outskirts of paris it's a, an old military base and it's there's nothing there there's no cafe apart from high performance units and we were it was a different part of it and he was just late they just they kept getting messages saying i'll be another 15 minutes they're still training another 15 minutes so they basically kept that happened in the six nations as well didn't it yeah yeah well they had a good excuse then their flight was delayed but they were it does seem to me that relations between steve borwick and the media are not particularly warm 
and he was quite happy to leave everyone waiting. Um, they they put up Ben Errol and Joe Marchant and Mara Watoji comes in and Ireland did everything. This is, sorry, this is very inside baseball, but he went into a corner of the room and everyone scrummed around them in the middle. It was really kind of strange and watching it from afar, having been part of it in the last couple of weeks was interesting. And then Owen Farrell and Steve Borwick came in and quite bullish and, you know, not very warm and not many smiles or jokes. And, you know, the only time he smiled was when he kind of, uh, he was asked about Razzy Rasmus naming his team and he kind of went, did he get it right? And he's like, no, he's like, no. Um, very different atmosphere. It's a very, I think the English guys have been having a very different World Cup to what we were having, but they're still here. So they, 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 they're happy enough about that. Yeah, they're getting the last word on that. Keen, how has the post-World Cup come down been for you? Absolutely miserable, Sinead. Miserable. <laughs> um, I watched the, the game back for about the fourth time yesterday. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, because I was wearing the tape in. <laughs> I was doing a piece on the the sort of the chances that Ireland missed in the thirty seven phases at the end, and whatever the opposite to a therapy session is, that's that's what it was like. So, um, I am looking forward to the the games this weekend, and maybe tomorrow when we're watching the the first semi final, albeit from. From Ireland and not in Paris, it will feel like the page has turned. But God, like it's been, it's been a long few days, and like it's funny. Like I mean, you know, I went playing football yesterday um, in a five-a-side game, and it's all anyone wanted to talk about. Even guys who I'm not really sure are that into their rugby. Um, we obviously didn't get a sense of that while we were in France, but having come back now, you can really see, um, I suppose, the fallout and how many people were actually into it. Um, I was chatting to someone involved in the squad who said, just not sure how long it's going to take or how they're actually going to get over this because I think the confidence was well-placed and they just obviously didn't deliver without going into old ground again. But um, while, yeah, in a way it's nice to be home, I it would have been nicer to have finished off the, the last two weeks and it would have been nice to be bringing the Left Wing Daily podcast for another two weeks as well. We didn't even get to properly say farewell uh, before we abruptly left Sinead on our flights home. But I suppose that's the way the cookie crumbles. I did come back to, to Dublin on Monday evening and I arrived in just before the team because I could see a couple of them um, in the airport in Charles de Gaulle. Um, they weren't on the same flight. But when I arrived back to Dublin, um, I walked into arrivals and there was loads of Irish fans with their flags and their jerseys. But quickly realized it, it wasn't me they were welcoming back. It was the, the fallen heroes. But that's the way it goes, I suppose. You go Keenan's dog at uh, the start of the show there. My dog was actually at the airport as well, but he didn't get snapped. So that was a, a nice moment for myself. Well, something nice to come back to, Keen. Um, let, let's start with the New Zealand-Argentina semi-final, and we get to their starting teams in a second. But there's been a bit of carryover, Rory, um, from what happened at the end of Ireland's quarterfinal with New Zealand, and specifically between Rico Ioanni and Johnny Sexton. And Ian Foster with a, a bit of a dig at Johnny Sexton. A bit, yeah, no, absolutely. It was. It's interesting. I mean, Razzy Erasmus has been and Jock Arbor have both made comments about how they've managed their squad much better than, than other teams here, and the clear implication is that Ireland didn't. And I think one of the things that Ireland will have to interrogate as we as as they review this is whether they were right to pl- to play their team over and over again. And obviously, there is. Um, you know, they didn't play a rugby championship like South Africa, but South Africa have probably rotated over the the last two years much more heavily than any other team and almost have two teams ready to go with this tournament. And Ireland is something they need to look at. But yeah, Ian Foster was asked at his press conference. I was actually at the Argentina press conference at the same time. 
um, listening to Michael Cheka speak a hybrid of Spanish, Italian and Portuguese that apparently none of the Argentinians could understand that I could, couldn't certainly <laughs> understand for most of it. But it was hugely entertaining. But yeah, Foster was asked, he was asked directly about Rico Oani and, and, and how he cupped his ears. And I'm not sure if this was broadcast on TV, but you know, people I think saw Sexton going after him in the aftermath. Um, after his initial disappointment, he saw uh, Ione cup his ears, make a shushing gesture, and Sexton went after him and had to be dragged away by Jack Conan. Um, and Ian Foster, I mean, the All Blacks, we, they put up another video of them moving the car this week. I mean, the, their humility is off the charts. You know, I mean, what Ione did falls out of that policy, I would have thought. But at the same time, so Sexton went after him and he said, Foster, a long way of answering your question, that, you know, look, you know, it's part of the game. It's come into the game more and more recently and players don't seem to mind it. But some people have been going after referees after games as well. And that's not great either, is it? And that, that was obviously a clear uh, dig at Johnny Sexton, who in fairness kicking him out while he's down. But you got to look at what Ireland, the way Ireland conducted themselves after the Scotland game and Peter Manny's interview and Peter Manny's comments to Sam Kane and all of that stuff. It's all in the game. And Ireland have been very quick to dish stuff out over the last couple of couple of years and um people enjoy it you know when that that sound came went viral at the t- a clip went viral at the time i guarantee it was it was stored up in Sam Kane's locker. It's not the reason New Zealand won, but it definitely was a contributing factor to Sam Kane's performance. So um they've been quite smug the All Blacks. I thought they were they were smug in the the aftermath afterwards and maybe that's 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 fair enough, but uh they were quite smug in the aftermath and they're still smug. And I, I wonder have they been? I remember being in the post match after they beat Argentina, sorry, beat France in Wales in 2015. And that they wouldn't talk about the France match. They were already, we've turned the page, we've turned the page, we've turned the page. They just kept going. We're talking about South Africa now, South Africa. This week, it's just Ireland have bled, that game has bled into all of their conversations. Even as they try and move on, they keep they keep returning back to it in conversation. And it's a very hard game for both them and South Africa to move on from because they were such incredible fixtures and such incredible wins and you've got a six-day turnaround so i wonder if that will be a factor as they go into an argentina game that they should win but it's a free hit for argentina argentina have already won their world cup they've they can go in and just throw everything at this whereas new zealand kind of probably think they're already in a final they've just knocked off what was the world's number one team steve borthwick told us repeatedly today that reminded us that south africa are now the world's number one team because the wheel turns but um that's going to be a factor it's it's how much did ireland take out of new zealand how much did france take out of south africa and can they get back to that level? Yeah, absolutely. It's reminded me of what happened in 2019. New Zealand produced a great performance against Ireland in the quarterfinals, but couldn't reproduce it a week later. England produced an excellent performance in their win over the All Blacks in the, in the semi-final, but couldn't reproduce it against South Africa a week later. Like, how much keen will those sides have learned from that? I mean, Argentina celebrated, you know, their win over Wales. Ireland brought out perhaps one of the best performances from San Cain, like he did an excellent performance. But it is going to be interesting to see how both New Zealand and South Africa, being part of those epic quarterfinals, can come back down and come back up again for these semifinals. Yeah, absolutely, Sinead. I think that is the the biggest challenge, really, because if these were sort of scratch games, you would be back in South Africa and New Zealand to win heavily. But obviously, pressure does funny things, as we saw in the Ireland game as well. And... I think that's the reason why Rassi Erasmus and Jack Nienarber have both been mentioning all week about the importance of rotating their squad because I think they feel like they've safeguarded against the fact that, look, the Springboks had to go to the well 
last Sunday, the three of us were there at Stade de France. Like they had to dig really, really deep. But I think they're almost trying to convince themselves that they're ready to go again. And they probably are because they have heavily rotated throughout the pool stages. And didn't they have their break week for the last week of the pool stages as well, which fell at a really good time for them too. So they're obviously looking at the, the sort of quarterfinal, quarter, sorry, quarterfinal, semifinal, final as sort of a three-legged thing. And they've already ticked one of the boxes and now they're utterly confident that they're going to tick the second I guess it's similar enough to the All Blacks they rotated heavily and we look we discussed this in the build up to the Ireland game that you know was it going to work in Ireland's favour that they were more battle hardened that they'd come through the South Africa game the Scotland game whereas New Zealand hadn't played a game a proper game really since um, since the France game on the opening night which they obviously lost and that came on the back of losing the previous week to South Africa and Twickenham but look, I mean, South Africa and New Zealand are experts at timing their run to perfection. I know, Sinead, you touch on 2019 and the All Blacks weren't quite able to back it up against what was an inspired England team, you'd have to say. But the way it's looking now, it's so difficult to see anything other than New Zealand and South Africa backing this up. You're right to point out the celebrations of the Argentinian supporters and the Argentinian players. You could see what it meant to them in the dressing room with the scenes. And like that to me is kind of, you know, celebrating a huge occasion because even people were saying it to me yesterday. Oh, like Ireland, there's, people still think Ireland over celebrated the, the win over South Africa in the pool stage when... Like, you didn't see anyone in the dressing room celebrating like Argentina did. I think they're two different things. And look, Argentina, I think, would admit themselves that they are in bonus territory now. They've done really well to to get this far. A lot of people might not have expected them to, to get there. But look, Cheka and Contopomi have worked their magic. But it is going to take something big for them to, I think, beat the All Blacks. And you see, like, the, the way the All Blacks have gone with their team. They've brought in Mark Talea. They've brought back in Sam Whitelock and dropped Brody Retallick to the bench. So perhaps they're even keeping someone like Retallick a little bit fresh with one eye on the final, which is risky. I'm not sure if Ritalik has an injury maybe Rod you might know but it's interesting that like Ritalik was outstanding I thought last week against uh, Ireland now obviously Whitelock came on and obviously won the the crucial turnover at the end but it's such a luxury to be able to kind of swap those two guys but perhaps they have one eye in the final as well you wonder whether Ireland would have rotated James Ryan back in if they had you know having left him out for for you know for the last pool game would they have rotated him back in if he hadn't got injured I mean maybe that's what they were trying to do because you do it's one thing I think they need to learn is that, you know, you can't, you've got to have some some level, especially if you're going to be here for the whole thing, like, you know, which they've never actually done. Um, you've got to rotate through. And, and New Zealand, they obviously have the data. I thought it was interesting that Dane Coles doesn't make it in and they've gone with Toki Um, You know, Dane Coles at one stage, just, uh, you've gone through all 37 phases. There was a truce between him and Ty Byrne. They basically fell into each other and Coles couldn't stand afterwards. And he was a sub, he'd only just come on. Like, you know, pe- players just aren't able to go through six and a half minutes. So, they went so deep the All Blacks last week. So even I was surprised. I mean, Razzie put Kane and Moody and uh, Esther Hazen and Pollard up for media earlier in the week, um, and almost, tr- you know, it was obviously a trick. He was trying to show England one hand and, and play the other. But I'm actually surprised that the, the box haven't done more rotation. I, I really thought they would for this game just to try and freshen things up and bring some fresh legs in. But look, they, these coaches know their players. They've got the metrics. They've got the the um the GPS data and and they they know what their players can do and I guess they have enough World Cup winners in each camp as well to kind of have the experience to kind of get things up. It's one thing that they have over everyone else. Uh, England have huge experience. They've got Lions who played in decided decisive tests. They've got you know world players who played in World Cup finals. A lot of them. 
and um, more actually the England team is more experienced than the England coaching team which is which is kind of a strange dynamic um so that there is a bit of lived experience there and Argentina have a load of guys who played in the 15 fi- uh, semi-final against Australia which Checo was coaching Australia for so um that stuff does count um but it's very hard to see anyone from the bottom half of the draw um the level of action we saw in Marseille compared to the level that we got to in Paris I just it's very hard to see anyone bridging that gap in terms of intensity quality um even the ball and play they haven't been playing that sport you know and Maybe they can. Maybe the England roll back the years and Maro Otoje's it becomes the 2019 Maro Otoje again, but it's a big stretch. And for Argentina, they have beaten New Zealand twice in the cycle, including one win in Christchurch. So they have that in their locker. But but Ireland had that as well. I think playing New Zealand at a World Cup is is, is a different proposition. Yeah, well, you mentioned that win that they had uh, last year and then New Zealand come out and beat them by 50 points uh, a week later. So where could they trouble them? I mean, we've, we know Michael Cech, uh, you know, he has got skin in this game when it comes to World Cups. Like, are you just not giving them much of a, a chance at all? Because New Zealand probably won't need to be at their best in this one. Yeah, but if, if they are off it then and Argentina are on it, like you said, they've beaten them twice and they, they can take advantage. Um, I thought it was interesting yesterday, I was reading Rudd's piece um, about Michael Checa talking about kind of what Contopomi has brought to to Leinster, you know. Or sorry, from Leinster, he says he's gone up um, another level, which I always thought was the case. I mean, there's a lot of talk that um, Contopomi is going to become the next Argentinian coach after Cheka, which would be amazing, really. And you think back to like Leinster's strike moves, like a lot of them were designed by Contopomi, along with Stuart Lancaster, but a lot of them on Contopomi's part. So look, the big thing is is the pack. And we saw last week that Ireland just didn't get parity up front. They were second best at the scrum. They were second best at the line-out, and most importantly, they were second best at the breakdown, which is where uh, New Zealand really dominated. So, um, like Pablo Matera is out, isn't he? Like, I mean, how how can, I suppose, Argentina plug that gap when you look at how well the All Blacks back row of Shannon Frizzell, Sam Kane, and Artie Cervea played last week? They were utterly, utterly outstanding. Like, that, that Irish back row is is pretty good in itself and they were totally outplayed by their by their opposition so I think that's going to be a huge area Sinead but like if if Argentina can sort of get parity up front then they definitely have the backs to to cause trouble but we kind of said the same things well as I would certainly have said the same things about Ireland and they just weren't able to get a foothold into the game so um, I think a lot will depend on if New Zealand are able to kind of mentally be screwed on as much as they were and to be honest I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be they've possibly learned from four years ago as you pointed out Sinead um, and look there's a lot of pressure on New Zealand as well we've talked about this in terms of you know losing to Ireland in the in the series last year, not winning the World Cup because, like, let's face it, the All Blacks go into every World Cup expecting to win it. There's a couple of their guys are going to be retiring at the end of the World Cup. That was a big focus for Ireland, obviously, with Johnny Sexton and Keith Earls. They didn't quite get the fairy tale ending that they were hoping. And then you also have the fact that Ian Foster is going to be gone at the end of the at the end of the World Cup. And for all we can, you know, all people can criticize um, different elements of Foster's reign. Clearly, the players are playing for him, and that counts for a huge amount. And I would say a lot of those guys um, who've stood by Foster through thick and thin are going to want to send him him off on a high 
and also probably silence a lot of the doubters. And it'd be in a remarkable situation if New Zealand do go on to win the World Cup. The pressure that Scott Robertson would be on um, as he steps into the hot seat as you know defending champions. So um, I think Argentina can trouble him, Sinead. Um I think the start is going to be really crucial because. As we saw last weekend, if you give the All Blacks any sort of head start, like 13-0 last weekend, as much as Ireland did well to pull it back, they were always chasing their tails and couldn't quite get in front. So if if New Zealand have a similar start, it could be curtains from early doors. Uh, So South Africa against England on Saturday night at the Stade de France. They've named South Africa an unchanged 23 from the one that beat France last weekend. Uh, I saw Razzie Erasmus mention about beef with England Andre Pollard said, if there's going to be beef, there is going to be beef, lads. Or if there is no beef between these two sides, I'd be very disappointed, Roar. Ah, like there's definitely, like, England were at pains to talk about how this is a new group and, and that the, losing a World Cup, or World Cup final four years ago to this South African team and fairly, maybe humiliating is too strong, but they were fairly, you know, well beaten on the day and, and having gone in as favourites, they were beaten roundly in, in, in all the areas they'd be, that would hurt, you know, the scrum, the the the, the mall, the, the rook. They lost all those battles. And then, you know, the missed tackles towards the ends, you know, players that don't normally miss tackles getting absolutely schooled. It was just a, it was a humiliating night, really, in, in, in Yokohama. So that has to be there for, like, Owen Farrell and Maro Toje and Corny Laws and all these players who were there four years ago. Um, But they're not as good a team as they were four years ago. And... I don't know if South Africa are better. I've been kind of consistently arguing throughout this whole tournament that they're they're not, but they haven't got any worse. I think that's 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 clear as day now because any team that beat that France team and in, in playing that well has something about it. And they've got a genius coaching staff. We can debate the rights and wrongs of some of the stuff they do, but they're they're ahead of the game. You know, they're doing things that no one else is doing, like the calling the scrum off a of mark. You know, that that's the way Razi Rasmus explained that afterwards was just it was so well, the clarity of his thought was just so, I thought, impressive. And I think they'll do stuff like that again because they don't want to get into, they want to play Bordwick ball. Like, Bordwick wants them to kick, you know, get into kick battle, make mistakes in their own half. I, I think they'll, they'll they'll try and defuse that themselves without, uh, and, and play the game on their own terms because they are the world champions and they're a far better team on paper than, than England are. And I think that there will be something in, in their locker that we've never seen before, that we haven't seen for a long time. And um, ultimately, where England need to beat them. If England need England need to get so much right in areas that they're they're they're, they're deficient against South Africa. So they need South Africa to be off it. They need to win the battle up front. Like their props, they've gone with their most experienced props. Dan, the, like the idea that Dan Cole will be back four years on is just it's ama- it's an amazing story. Like you know he wasn't really a factor for a lot of this this um uh, this whole cycle. But you know if you got Ches and Colby one on one, we might be in trouble. You know so you got. There's a lot of weaknesses in that England lineup. They can produce it for 80 minutes. There's there's good players there with great experience, but when did they last show they're good enough to win a World Cup semi final against South Africa? Maybe, maybe you don't need to show it across four years. Maybe you can produce it tomorrow uh, on Saturday, and that's all that matters. But on the evidence that we have in front of us, it's very hard to to, to call anything other than a comprehensive South Africa win. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. I think it's interesting, um, not interesting, but obviously Marcus Smith has been ruled out with concussion. Like, I wonder, is that almost sort of a blessing in disguise, which sounds like a horrible thing to say, but in terms of Steve Bortwick's selection, because I would have been shocked if he had went with Marcus Smith um, rather than Freddie Stewart for a game like this. Look, I think Freddie Stewart is a bit overrated, if I'm being honest, by the by the English kind of media and stuff like that. 
think he's a solid pair of hands. He's good under a high ball, but he's not exactly the most cutting edge fullback, particularly on counter attack. But what he'll give you is stability in the backfield. And look, we saw what South Africa did to France last week in terms of Manny Libok, like the the kicking. I was watching it back actually yesterday and they, what they did so well was getting the lights of Etzebet and Peter Steph de Toy on, on the kick chase. It wasn't just the outside backs like Arense or Chelsea and Colby. They were actually getting their biggest players on the kick chase. And when you have athletes like Etzebet and Peter Steph, it allows you to do things that other teams can't do. So I think maybe uh, Freddie Stewart might give a bit of stability back there, but Rudd is right. I mean, the fact that it's Joe Marler and Dan Cole starting, I think that Springboks are going to be licking their lips at that, to be honest. Um, I think they're going to totally go after them at the scrum. Um, we all know the the bomb squad that they have on the bench that they're going to roll off. And OK, England have a couple of decent props that they can bring on as well. And that's probably why Steve Borthwick has put them on the bench because he's mindful of what's going to be coming off in the second half but I just see a massive difference in that South African pack compared to this English pack and that's where I think the the game will be won and lost Sinead. Yeah uh, we will still finish with predictions even though I kind of know <laughs> where you're going but I saw Jim White writing in the Telegraph this morning that Irish, Welsh and Scottish fans quote might be advised to put aside tradition temporarily swallow um, and get behind England. Uh, what, what do you make about that lads? English people telling Irish, Welsh and Scottish people what to do has always worked out well in the past, hasn't it? So um, I think people can make up their own minds about what team they want to get behind this weekend. I, I, I'm actually, I, I, I'm fascinated to see who they, who they, who Irish people would actually want to be in this final. I, Argentina, surely. Everyone's up for Argentina. Yeah, I think everyone would like, I think, I think from a selfish point of view, I think that, I think that Ireland, the team would probably, well, if they care, I'm sure they've all checked out at this stage, but the the side of the draw, I would like to see the two teams from the side of the draw, Ireland or on, get there because I want to see the best two teams in the final and I think the best two teams remaining in the tournament are New Zealand and, and South Africa and selfishly I'd like to be at see the two of them go toe-to-toe in person because any time I've seen them, I've only seen them once before in person and, oh sorry, twice, I saw them in Yokohama and I saw them in Twickenham and it's a, it's a they're just amazing games um, and they are the best two teams, like we can make up all these kind of different uh, routes for England and, and Argentina to get there and, and look there's legitimacy in, in all of them anyone can win a game over 80 minutes and a red card could change everything but um, it would take an awful lot for them to, to get there I, I just um, I can't see it and you know it would re- it would reward the teams who've had the best who put the most into it I think to get for those two teams to get into it and look Argentina knocking off New Zealand being an amazing story Contepomi being here for the till, till, for the end Will be will be amazing, and it will you know give us an, an Irish angle. Amaz- amazingly, how many Irish co- play? Sorry, how many coaches? I'm writing about this for tomorrow. How many Irish coaches? Sorry, coaches who've been through the Irish system are, are involved this weekend. Every all four teams have a a coach who's been in our, an Irish province, so or coached Ireland. So that's that's an interesting angle as well. But yeah, can't see anything other than the top two going through. Yeah, you too, Keen. Yeah, I I think after the high of last weekend, the quality of rugby, and it's worth repeating again that what we were treated to on Saturday and Sunday night, and again, like watching it back, it it kind of reinforces what we probably all thought live, that it was just an absolute privilege to be there for both of those games. But I think there'll be a slight come down um, this weekend, if I'm honest, before it builds back up again to the final. And I wouldn't be surprised if both semi-finals are double-digit uh, victories, as in double scores uh, for New Zealand and South Africa. Well, me and Keen will be watching from Dublin. Rory, you enjoy it over there in Paris on uh, on Friday and Saturday night. 
I'll do my best to be good. Look, I'm looking forward to it now. It was a it was a slow burner of a week, but I think we've cleared all the Irish stuff out of the, the system at this stage, and it's time to move on. Yeah, okay, Rory and Keane, thank you for that. Will and Luke and Rory will be back next Tuesday to review those World Cup semi-finals and look ahead to the final. Enjoy the World Cup semis. Uh, thanks for listening. Listen and follow The Left Wing wherever you get your podcasts.